Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, this is Pia Baranchini, and welcome to Everything is the Best, the podcast where I get vulnerable and make others do it with me. The goal here is to deep dive into interesting people's journeys, finding common denominators, and hopefully making you feel not so alone. So let's laugh, let's cry, and let's get inspired to live our best lives. Thank you so much for joining. I kind of want to focus on fear in the context of relationships, because I, I feel like that's a lot of the questions that we get asked often, like my husband and I have like a relationship Q&A, but considering that, you know, that can't really happen without everything that you discuss in your book about like having a connection with yourself and that coming first, um, I would love for you to tell everyone about your journey and how you came to this conclusion that, you know, ultimately you have like rectified a lot of the issues that you had with yourself enough to help others and write a book. Okay, and which book are we going over? Fear is not an option or Rethink Love? Fear is not an option. I think we do both, but I think like fear is not an option is a good one to start with. You have overcome a lot on your own, starting with anorexia as a young woman. So, I mean, obviously that comes with a lot of fear-based issues and love issues, right? So do you want to talk about kind of the moment where you realized you had had enough with that process of your life? Well, you know, I often say this to people because I've written two books and in my latest book, Rethink Love, I devote eight chapters to this concept. And I think that a lot of people have the unfortunate luxury of not making themselves a priority in terms of self-love and self-care and finding their authenticity, tapping into their vulnerability, removing fears, challenging belief systems. So all of that work, that is work, it's not fun per se, it's so necessary though. So because I was in essence starving myself nearly to death, it became an urgent and immediate thing for me that I needed to focus on. And I think for others, it's kind of something that makes you not feel good in your skin, makes you look external for validation and for love, um, for approval. And unless you force yourself to really go to this place, you can kind of live with this low level discomfort your whole life. So for me, it was really the impetus for, I need to know why I'm doing this and I need to find a way to 
be able to respect myself and learn to hear my voice and, and my true desires. And what are the actual, you know, steps to, to do something like that? Cause I think, you know, when people, and I've heard you speak about this before, like self-care is not like giving yourself a facial at home, like self-care is really <laughs> deeper than that. So like, what were like the steps in those moments, like the active practices that you were doing? Cause that's really hard work. So I like to call it self-interest instead of self-care because if you're if you're interested in something, you're curious about it, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to take time to learn about it, to discover new things, to get better at it, right? So you kind of look at yourself. You almost go out of your body for a minute and you look at yourself and you say, okay, what are the things that I don't hate about myself? Because it depends on where you are on this level, right? Some people mm-hmm. like themselves. Some people really loathe themselves. It depends where you're at. But you identify the things that, kind of work for you and that you want to grow and improve upon, you put energy there. And then the negative things you'll catch in the day that you say about yourself or when you look in the mirror or when Mm -hmm. you wake up in the morning, go to bed at night, feelings of regret, shame, blame, guilt, you know, all of those things that I never actually feel anymore, but I, I used to be consumed by all of that. You start to say, okay, I'm not going to give this any energy. And it's actually, is this even my belief system? So an easy way to do this is to start journaling, because I think very often these negative thoughts are so normal for us that we don't identify them as wrong or damaging. When you write them down and you reread it later in the day or later in the week, you're like, oh my God, did I really say that? Especially if you were having a really bad day, right? And if you read it on a day where you're feeling a little bit better about yourself, then it becomes really, it's not, now you've removed yourself from the emotion and you can mm-hmm. now kind of look at it from a higher level perspective. And from that place, change becomes a lot easier and manageable. Oh, that's such a good idea. Because I do that all the time. Like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Or every time I leave somewhere, I'm like, oh, I wish I didn't say that. But it's I never use those words anymore, ever. I've removed them from my lexicon. There's no should have. There's no could have. It's, it's you know, it, I think I would like to do this next time. And I think I will, right? Completely different energy. Mm. Yeah, that's really powerful in terms of writing is to create your credo. The credo is basically something that you believe. And it's a challenging exercise, even though it seems pretty simplistic, because when you think about what you believe and you hear what you believe, you're like, wait a second, this isn't my thought. I don't even, this is a horrible belief system, right? Mm. I came to my credo when my second, I have four children, when my second son was born with Down syndrome and I found out a few hours after his birth. And I remember like, you know, I caught the thoughts that I had and they were pretty dark and they were pretty negative. And I was terrified. I was consumed by fear. And I thought, I just don't know how to parent a child with a disability. I don't know if I can be a good mother to him or an equal mother. I had another child already. And then I was like, wait a second, this, you're, you are better than that, first of all. And you want to constantly evolve each and every day of your life. So my credo became, in change, there's great power. Mm-hmm. And I decided to change my perspective and my mindset and my view. And I started to see it as a blessing and I started to look for the gifts in it and also who I could become from this amazing experience and really discover all the beautiful things he could become. Because with Josh, I learned about his his limitations on the day he was born, but I had a lifetime to discover all of the beauty that he could be. And most people experience life the other way around. And I was aware of that. So I was like, okay, well, in change, there's great power. So that really became my my focus. Um, and it really changed me and my whole view on change, right. And how I embraced it. How do you navigate through that? I'm going to go off track a little bit because how do you navigate 
that in your relationship with your husband? Like, did, was he, did he have those same feelings? Was he just as nervous? Like, did you make that decision together? So it's interesting because at the time, even though I had overcome anorexia and it had already been a couple of years, um, I had already had a child. I thought I was really further along in terms of loving myself. But mm. then as happened, I was consumed by shame. I thought, oh my God, I, you know, I grew him in my body and, and what is wrong with me? Mm-hmm. And did this Moms happen? always, I hear all of my friends who are moms do that all the time. What did so I what, do? Right. But the, well, this is what was amazing, right? So then I thought, okay, I deserve this for some reason. I need to be punished. And then I thought, wait a second. I don't believe that about my husband, Right. He's a really good person and I am too. But at that time I was like, and so then I had to challenge that belief system, right? So I said, okay, this is not a punishment because I don't believe that he deserves to be punished. So from that space, I was like, okay, so then what is this? And I think a lot of couples who have a child with a disability, I mean, the truth is the divorce rates are very high. Mm -hmm. It can break people apart for us. It brought us together and it redefined our relationship in the most exceptional way. It was the first time we really became vulnerable to one another because a lot of people could give us advice and they could empathize with us. But Josh was born to the two of us. We created him together. And from that space, we really leaned in and um, became unified in a way we we hadn't and, and certainly we wouldn't have been able to. Oars and Alps is a natural skincare company that was founded by two women with outdoorsy husbands. The company was built to give active men and women the best possible skincare with the most powerful ingredients without all the hassle or harmful ingredients or the massive markup. Did you know that in the EU, there are over 1,300, that's right, you heard me, 1,300 banned ingredients in the skincare industry? Guess how many are in the United States? Only 20. That's why Ors and Alps focuses on creating the most powerful skincare with the most powerful ingredients. They never use aluminum, alcohol, parabens, glycol, or sulfates, and they are cruelty-free. Ors and Alps offers a variety of great products, including aluminum-free natural deodorant, which is my personal fave, exfoliating charcoal face wash, which is my husband's personal fave, and a vitamin C serum, and much more. Right now, you can receive 15% off your first order by using code PIA15. Whether you're shopping for yourself or getting a head start on your holiday shopping for others, Ors and Alps is a great option for natural skincare. Just a reminder, that is PIA15 for 15% off your first order. Hi, we're Carlene and Jill, hosts of Breaking Beauty Podcast, the show all about the breakthrough people, products, and moments in beauty. On our show, you're going to find hella inspiring guests like Emily Weiss of Glossier, and you'll get beauty tips galore from the top pros in the industry, like Kim Kardashian's makeup guru, and you'll hear skincare secrets from the likes of Dr. Pimple Popper. Plus, you'll get shopping help with our Damn Goods episodes, where we review the latest products hitting store shelves to let you know what's actually worth your money. Listen every Wednesday to Breaking Beauty Podcast. That's beautiful. And that kind of goes back to what you talk about when you reference soulmates, right? Because you always say it's not this like magical movie experience. It really does take like vulnerability and work and growth. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Because I do feel like, like anytime I had some, I do their Q and A's, we get all these questions like I'm single and like, I want this person. And like, where is he? And it's like not happening. And we're just like, whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) that's not the energy at all that attracts a person to you. And there really is this 
idea of this like person you make eye contact with on a plane and your life is changed, right? But relationships aren't like that by any means. Relationships are challenging. Well, I think that people have a romanticized ideal of love, right? And it's not entirely our fault. We are influenced by our culture, society, television, music, poetry. And we think that if a relationship is a successful one, or if we were with the right person, it means it's conflict-free and it's effortless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just a, a farce completely. So the number one thing when you go into relationship is, first of all, from which space are you looking to find the person? Is it from your five senses, your you know the 1% reality, which is everything you see, hear, smell, taste, touch, what a person gives you, how they make you feel, right? It becomes a very much almost selfish kind of love. I call it ego-based love. Mm-hmm. And then there's unconditional love, which is from the 99% realm, which is empathy, kindness, compassion, curiosity, learning, um, growth, right? All of those things that are connected to things that are limitless. If you look to find a... And by the way, yes. Do you want to be attracted to your partner? Yes. Sex? Yes. Money's nice too. All of those things? Yes. But looks fade. Money goes away. I mean, that's not... You can't invest your whole... Everything based on that. So I say to people, check where you're coming from and and what you're choosing a partner. And also soulmate relationships are relationships that challenge each other. We're going to actually bring things out in one another because you have the ability to help them grow and evolve into their better self. And then the other part of that too, I see a lot, people really try to hide who they are when they go in a relationship. Like People mm-hmm. always ask me, how vulnerable do I really need to be? I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> First of all, you start lying now, you're going to lose track of those lies at some point. And second of all, you're starting the relationship on very rocky ground. So five years, 10 years from now, where are you going to be? If you have to deny who you are in order to get somebody, this is just like, from there, it's just down downhill. Yeah, of course. I mean, think about all the challenges that you're naturally just going to face and keeping, <laughs> keeping like a lie up during <laughs> challenging times can, I mean, there's the, the foundation will fall. Absolutely. My husband and I, when we got married, when we got together, my dad died, his mom died, he had to give up his job. It was like all this stuff happened at once after this like romantic proposal, everything fell down. And all the time we look at each other, we're like, thank God that that happened at the beginning of our relationship because we know that we made the right choice with each other because we didn't fall apart. We connected. We got really vulnerable. And it's still hard. It's still hard all the time. But I I think that this is, it's such a farce that you're going to marry someone and you're not going to fight. You're not, it's just going to be this like easy walk through the park. Well, I have a chapter on my book too, that fighting is healthy. I think fighting's necessary. It's called spiritual sparring. What are your recommendations for that? Because sometimes when we fight, we both just like black out and it's not healthy. (laughs) Well, this is the thing. Fighting is is healthy because you, it shows that you care, right? And that you're passionate Mm -hmm. and you believe in discussing things and, and coming to some kind of resolution. The key here though, is that you need to choose a fighting style that works for both of you. And Mm -hmm. I don't think couples sit down enough proactively and say, okay, I want, because what do we really want? Both sides, we want to be seen and we want to be heard, right? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean you have to agree. It just means that you respect each other enough to hold that space. So when I first got married, I come from a Middle Eastern family and the style that I saw at home was one of yelling and escalation. Yeah. <laughs> so naturally, you know, when we got married, that was what I did and he would shut down. So 
then I would become infuriated. I wasn't even angry about what I was angry about in the first place. Now I was just upset that he was ignoring me. Mm -hmm. And after I got so frustrated, we sat down and I'm like, okay, let's talk about this. What would make you feel comfortable? It would make me feel comfortable and safe. And then from that space, we eventually trained ourselves to be able to respond in that way. And then it was really successful. And then there's other things like, you know, when we first got married also, I was shocked to discover that he would get undressed at the end of the day and like leave the clothes, like as he walked from like, <laughs> what is this? It's never going to work for me. I'm a Virgo. Like I need to like clean room that's like organized or my brain feels cluttered. Of course. So we thought about that for a while. And then one day I had the idea that I'm just going to get him a chair. I'm going to put the chair in the corner of the room and on that chair, he can place all of his items. And the only thing is on a Friday at the end of the week, just put them away. And eventually he did. And now he doesn't even need a chair. And now he just hangs up his stuff. But what we understood, and that's the other part of it, we became very emotionally intelligent. When I started to explain to him, once I realized it, that when I see clutter, I actually get really sad. Like it affects my mood. And I don't want to be like that, by the way. It's just something that really, like if I wake up in the morning and it's just dirty and I'll really, really feel down. And once he understood that, that even though hanging his clothes wasn't important to him, once he knew how it affected me, then it was important to him. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Yeah, and I think that's a big part of the fighting thing. I think once you are able, because look, some things are going to be more important to you and some things are going to be more important to him. And depending on who's more invested in this, one has to lean in more. Mm-hmm. And you only discover these things when you actually have conversations even about fighting. And that also comes a lot down to like ego, right? Because I feel like people just want to stand their ground so intensely. What is it like for you when you see relationships now? Because your husband's a rabbi, correct? Yes. And so how many weddings have you attended? (laughs) Oh, it keeps growing. Um, (laughs) Over 500. That's wild. It's wild. And so now I can really, I can tell. Right away. (laughs) I never want to judge, but you can definitely feel when there's a lot of work that's going to need to be done. And uh, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. So I have a a random question for you because I've learned so much marrying. My husband is from Sicily, which, you know, is a very small Island above North Africa, below Italy that has not changed their way of thinking, you know, since people started inhabiting the Island. So (laughs) my husband's ideas of gender roles are very traditional. And then we got married and I like have a brand and I have Instagram and I have this and I have that. And like, I come from a family where my parents were like, you're capable of doing everything. Like get out. Like my dad like forced me to move to New York. He was like, never be quiet. Like you can do anything forever. And my husband obviously adores me and loves me, but I think it was an interesting dynamic having him going from dating like Italian girls who are traditionally you know, can be want to stay home. That's their role. That's how his mom always lived. And so what do you, what are you seeing now? Because obviously there is this shift in femininity, right? We're raising our children a little bit different to be like women, especially to be more independent. You can do, you know, take over the world, do anything you want. How do you see like women's egos in relationships sometimes? Because there are times where my husband's like, I just want you to stop fighting against me and like lean into some femininity a little bit more. And I'll be like, Oh, you are right. Like I'm just wanting to win this instead of making you feel big. Like I'm trying to be the masculine person here. Have you noticed that in the relationships that you are seeing? It's really interesting. I think there's a few things. I think the ego can come out in either gender for sure. It doesn't matter 
Absolutely. And I think it depends on character and the person and how they understand ego's role and really destruction in a relationship. It's, I call it the third party. And it really, I mean, that is one of the biggest problems in relationships that people don't put ego at bay and it gets mm-hmm. involved in things. When it comes to being a strong woman, for sure, I, I have two daughters, two sons. I'm definitely raising my daughters to, I mean, my youngest and I just wrote a children's book, like, you know, to go out and express yourself in the world and there's something you can't do. I am also though equal parts feminine. I really do like to dress up. I also like being made to feel like a woman by him. Me too, very much so. I think that the, the awareness needs to be this, that I think that equally men and women should work. I think they should equally express themselves and go after what they're passionate about and what they desire. I think that you should be able to do everything and anything you want to. You might not be able to do it all at once, but we certainly can do it, right? When it comes to romantic relationships, I think, again, there has to be a discussion of what what works. Like my husband will pay the bills, not because that's his role. It's just something I really could care less to do and I'm not going to do it, right? <laughs> and um, and he also takes the trash out because it's easier for him and, and he doesn't mind doing it. And I might do other things. Like, I think it's more about this balance of where you both feel strong and where you want to actually contribute more than what's mm. the, um, I, I think far too often women have a certain expectation for men and men have a certain expectation for women. And it's important to talk about those things when you're in a mentor relationship. So you can kind of debunk them and say, is this really how we want to be in our marriage? Is this what's working for us? If you're a longtime listener or follower of mine, you know that fertility has been at the forefront of a lot of my conversations. The traditional guidance for fertility has always been just wait and see. Now we have the tools to help us plan and track for everything in our lives, wellness, finances, career, school. So why is fertility still a wait and see situation? That's why Modern Fertility was created. It's the easiest and most affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. Mail it in with a prepaid label and you'll get your personalized results within 10 days. Traditional testing with your doctor can cost over $1,000, but Modern Fertility only costs $159 to get the exact same information. And if you go to modernfertility.com slash PIA, P-I-A, can get $20 off your test. Also, if you have an HSA or FSA, you can use those dollars on Modern Fertility. You'll get insight into how many eggs you have, your hormone levels, and other important fertility factors. The results go deep into what every hormone means, and you can also talk one-on-one with a fertility nurse to review your results and options for next steps. If you want kids today or maybe one day in the future, This is information you need to make the decision that's best for you. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com slash Pia. That means your test will cost $139 instead of the hundreds or thousands it would cost at the doctor's office. Get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash Pia. That's modernfertility.com slash P-I-A.
And I think probably a lot of that comes down to both people equally being self-aware and ha- hopefully having a good relationship with themselves. With right. Exactly. So I'd love to talk more about that because you obviously talk about that so much. And, and especially now, I think people are feeling like lonelier than ever. And so unfortunately, while they're like trying to reach out for relationships, you know, it probably is like a better time to be more self-reflective and like hopefully that like when you're in, you know, you end up attracting that, right? So what do you, especially during quarantine and being alone so often, like what do you think are good practices or advice you have to really like take this time to to get to know yourself, have that self-interest you were talking about? Well, first to be comfortable just being alone, right? And to really stop and catch your thoughts, as I said, but also your intention. What is it that, you know, where do you want to see yourself? Not with who do you want to see yourself? Where do you want to see yourself in a year from now Mm. or five years from now? And from that space to say, okay, if I envision myself to be somebody that's very different from who I am today, what are the steps that I need to take to get there? So it becomes more about a contract you make with yourself and the responsibility you are now willing to take for the state of where you find your life. I think far too often, and that's why I really start the very early chapters of identifying blame, shame, and guilt. So blame is, I did something wrong and it's your fault. So we can blame, a lot of people still blame their parents for where they are, (laughs) even if they're in their 70s. Guilt is, I did something wrong and it's my fault, which is a horrible feeling, right? That's that whole regret thing. And then shame is, I did something wrong and I'm damaged because of it. And when you find out the truth about me, you'll think the same thing. So, uh, and people really struggle with these three and they interchange them throughout their lives. So I would really take time. I would, I would do a 30 day challenge where every day I write down, you know, where am I putting energy in these areas? What is it that I believe? And who do I want to become in a year from now? I guarantee if you do that every day for 30 days, at the end of 30 days, first of all, you're going to feel happier. You're going to start to be aware of different things. And then if you follow it up with immediate action, your life is actually going to change. Your reality will change. From that space, then you're going to be clear about what you actually want to put energy and effort into instead of just going about life in some kind of robotic existence. Mm, that makes sense. Oh, I love that. I actually want to do that myself. <laughs> well, cause I used to wake up and do my journal and now I've found myself waking up and doing the one thing you're not supposed to do. I've been grabbing my phone right away. And then all of a sudden I'm in bed for like 45 minutes, just like in my phone, looking at my emails, looking at the news. The news is obviously, you know, very scary thing to look at first thing in the morning. And now I find myself not sleeping well. And I'm like, Ooh, I put myself in such a bad little pattern over here. And I was so good before, which is fine. Like I'll just transition back into journaling again. It's not even yours anymore. So now you've woken up in the day and you have like a hundred thoughts because now you've put all this stuff in front of you Mm -hmm. and it's made some kind of impression on you. And then you get up and start your day and your day is going to look very different versus starting with, you know, what are your thoughts in the morning? Mm -hmm. Right. What's your morning routine? Four kids in a career and a husband. I can't imagine. Uh, especially, I think. Well, the youngest is now going to school, um, but there's remote learning back and forth. But uh, I try to get up before anybody else because I'm not really a big talker first thing in the morning. I really like mm-hmm. to be with my thoughts. Um, so I usually sneak downstairs and make the best cup of coffee, and then I, I pray. I mean, I, I, I prepare their breakfast and I think of, I look at my planner, I organize what I'm going to put energy into that day. Then I pray, then I work out for a few hours and then, and then a few I work. hours you work out two hours a day. Yeah. No, they do. 
I, but that's like, for me, that's very meditative, you know, yeah, the more of course. emotion, the more still my mind becomes. And I get really a lot of clarity about things. And also it's very Virgo. <laughs> nobody can call me. Nobody can interrupt me. Nobody can pat my shoulder. It's like the time that I'm just with me every day. And from that, I'm able to actually give to people in the way that I want to. But without that, I don't know. I don't know if I could. Yeah, of course. I have friends that are like that. I'm like a born tired person. (laughs) (laughs) And how are I'm like, I mean, I work out, I, I, but you know, for me, it's, it's, there's only a couple of workouts that make me like meditative. Like a lot of the time when I'm working out, it's like all my thoughts rush to my head and I'm like, how are you implementing any sort of these practices in your children? I like that question. We are a very open family. We talk about everything, we share things. And when they come to me with a worry, a thought, a fear, a concern, a dream, a desire, I really am very conscious not to put my feelings in it, not to put my emotions in it, Mm -hmm. and not to give them advice right away. I just ask a lot of questions like, what is it you're worried about? Or why do you fear that? What do you think will happen? Or why do you want to do that? What's your desired outcome? to get them to start thinking in these ways and train them and their voice in their heads, I would say is definitely a kind one because I've worked very hard for mine to become kind to myself. Mm -hmm. My husband is naturally like that. And um, there's no shaming in our house. There's no, you know, we don't, we just don't, we're just so aware. So we're not perfect and we're not meant to be certainly, but I do feel good about being able to do that. I think that they are, they're thoughtful kids and they definitely give themselves emotional feedback, which I think is really important. That's very important because I see so many kids don't know how to do that now. And then kind of absorb, which unfortunately I've noticed like negative self-talk, you know, like you don't realize your kids are hearing everything you're saying, right? So if you're like, oh, I shouldn't have eaten that or like, oh, I look bad or. Oh, I'll never, ever have that conversation in this house, especially from where I came from. People do that all the time. Uh, I my mom did that. I know my mom. My mom did it too. My mom still does it. We live together. I'm like, you are 60 pounds less than me, and you're complaining that you ate a cracker. Yeah, <laughs> uh, she, uh, she used to order dessert and put it next to her, and then picket it with a fork. And like, <gasps> I was doing that, thinking like, oh, it's really shameful to have you. Like, it's not womanly or polite or allowed. Yeah. Yeah. And how are you allowing them when they fight? Are you really like kind of managing those fights and like teaching them to communicate with each other? You know, I'm sure they're getting to issues sometimes. Because they're children. of yeah. course. And I think that that is very healthy. And I don't think parents should interject themselves in that process. The only time we do get involved is if, if they go below the belt or they act without human dignity, then that's a no-go. And at that point, we'll definitely intervene. Act without human dignity. I love that. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it makes total sense. And then before we end, I would love to talk a little bit more about your first book in terms of what you speak about with fear, because I know that there are multiple different types, but I really want, um, I would love for you to break those down. And then I think really what a lot of human beings are maybe lacking or forgetting or like not trusting is their intuition. And so I'd love for you to like talk about that a little bit because I think we we ignore, we are like kind of become people who ignore intuitions and how important that is. Yeah, for sure. So in my book, Fear is not an option. 
because fear, you know, we make it so huge and we don't like to talk about it. So then it becomes even scarier, you know, like secrets left in the dark, they just get bigger and bigger. So I identified three different types of fear because when you are, are able to identify and name your fears, they're already less scary and they're manageable. So my approach to fear is that fear is something you should completely eradicate from your life. A certain kind of fear. Mm-hmm. A lot of people learn to cope with their fears, live with their fears. I think that's an epic waste of time. So the three fears that I identified there is um, healthy fear, real fear, and illogical fear. So healthy fear is like it sounds. It's set up for your survival and your protection. It's there to keep you safe. So if you're hiking and you go too close to the edge of a cliff, you know your heart starts beating your palms might sweat you, something pulls you back, right? It's mm-hmm. to protect you. Or if your hand goes too close to an open flame, you pull your hand back, you know that you, you could get burned. So that kind of fear is necessary. And part of that healthy fear actually includes intuition. It's that feeling in your, stu- in your stomach that you get, you know, when you know you shouldn't quite do something. Like I get the example often of when you're going to go into an elevator and there's somebody already in there. And then it would just be the two of you if you go in and you were already feeling like there's a weird vibe or that you might not be safe. That again, that's there to protect you. One of my favorite examples of this is the story of Carol Durange. She was from Murray, Utah. Do you, are you familiar with her? I've, well, I've listened to you before. So I've, I've heard this story, but it's an important story. So she was um, approached by a police officer when she was in a parking lot and uh, he came over to her and he said, you know, we have, uh, somebody's broken into your car. We've apprehended the suspect. We have him at the station. Can you come with me to identify the objects, make sure they're yours? And she got that feeling in her stomach. And for whatever reason, maybe it was the seventies, but she didn't want to seem rude. She asked though, to see his badge and he showed her his identification. So she went along with him reluctantly, but she still went. They get in the car, they're driving down the highway and she is already worried and she's alarmed. So she has her right hand on the handlebar of the door just in case. And the the cop, the driver has one hand on the steering wheel and with his other hand, he's trying to handcuff her. So she's able to jump out of the moving car. He pulls over, a fight ensues on the side of the road and she's able to escape, which is really miraculous. Mm-hmm. A few days later, she's reading the newspaper and she sees that on that same day, a few hours after that had happened to her, another woman was apprehended and was raped and murdered by serial killer Ted Bundy. And that was the police officer she realized when she saw the picture. So this, this fear, again, this is one that we actually do need. The way you know the difference between intuition and fear, though, fear is always based on the past or the future. Mm-hmm. Intuition is something you feel in the moment, right? Because fear, it's going to be something that happened to you and now you don't want it to happen again or something you're worried about that could happen. Intuition is in the now. And it comes to you in a different way. You're not now connecting the dots. For instance, if you park your car every day in a parking lot underground, right? And every day you're worried that somebody's going to attack you and that fear comes every single day. That's not intuition. Now, if you have never have that fear and then one day you walk in the parking lot and you get that feeling, I would honor that. Yeah, okay. Um, so then there's real fear and that's based in reality. It's things like fear of death, of losing our loved ones, of getting sick. But even this kind of fear can be transformed to something positive because if, for instance, somebody feels getting sick, they can make choices for a healthier lifestyle, right? They can exercise, they can make sure they sleep enough, they can eat well. If a person's afraid of losing their parents, instead of ruminating about that thought, 
being fearful about all the time, make sure you tell them how much you love them, that you spend time with them and it's, it's authentic and it's engaging and it's open mm. and tell them how much you appreciate them versus the negative thought of which you have no control over. And then finally, there is illogical fear. And that's the one that really gets us. By the way, that's where we spend 95, maybe 99% of our fears are in this bucket. It's fear mm -hmm. of elevators and cockroaches and heights and rejection and public speaking, all those things that keep us paralyzed and stop us from moving forward and really going after the life we want, after our desires and our dreams. And so here, this is the part you really want to eradicate. And I always suggest to people, because when you go through life, like when you're born, right, you don't come into the world with fear. Mm -mm. You, you're curious, right? You learn to walk, you fall down, you get up again, you get on a bike, you'll approach life. Even if you get injured or hurt, you get up again and you, you don't get scared and then pull away. I think as we get older, we start to collect fears. Anytime we feel uncomfortable or something made us scared, so we're never going to do that again. It's not meant to be that way. You need to challenge yourself when those things arise for you. I love that. I think, well, the thing is so good to have, a, to have an active practice every day because otherwise you're just like floating through life without any sort of constitution. Absolutely. Well, well then it happens to you and not through you. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much for this. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Where can people find you? You can find me at rethinklife.today and on Instagram, monicaberg74. And my husband and I have a podcast called Spiritually Hungry. Check us out there too. Great. Thank you so, so, so much. And we'll link everything in the description and then I will link both of your books as well. Great. Thank you. Have a good day. Thank you too. And that, ladies and gentlemen, concludes this week's episode of Everything is the Best. I hope you enjoyed it. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that stuff. Maybe leave a comment. But remember, shitty comments are for shitty people. Go ahead and follow me on Instagram at Pia Barangini. And I hope you have a fabulous, fabulous rest of your day. Love you. Ciao.